dad's boat was attacked by pirates. Someone got shot and he died. Like motors broke down and like motors had to be changed during like like in the middle of the ocean like crazy things like that wow. and I'm just like oh cool what's the hardest thing I've done I lost MasterChef twice <laughs> <laughs> calm down Real, they were big events though. <laughs> Let's not diminish that. Yeah, but it's, it's not the same as like, oh, changing a propeller when there's sharks around you. Like, that's frightening. Literally, like, pirates <laughs> ransacking the boat. Yeah. yeah. Life gives you two choices when it throws everything at you. You can let it swallow you whole or you take those lemons. And as the old saying goes, you turn it into sweet, delicious lemonade. And that's exactly what this podcast is all about. Welcome to Lemonade. I'm your host, Elizabeth O'Neill, and I'll be sharing the incredible stories from inspiring people who've turned the hardest times in their life, their lemons, into lemonade. Because let's be real, we all want to know how they did it, the lessons they learnt, and what life is like sipping limoncello on the other side. Let's get juicing. You probably know Kana Ong as one of MasterChef's most beloved contestants across the entire series. I've known Khan for a little over a decade. And in that time, I've watched him flourish from a fresh-faced 19-year-old to now an incredible cook, television personality, author, restaurant owner, and a staunch advocate for the LGBTQI plus community. But life hasn't always been easy, despite what his glittering Instagram aesthetic and infectious smile will have you believe. Born in a refugee camp in Indonesia, encountering racism and bullying when settling in Australia, realising he was gay and coming out to the world, the untimely death of his father to liver cancer and his subsequent mental breakdown. Khan's story is a testament to the fact that life can throw you many, many lemons, but it's what you do with them that ultimately shape who you are as a person. This is honestly one of my favourite Lemonade episodes, partly because it's unlike any I've ever done. And if you're an avid listener, you'll know exactly what I mean as soon as it begins. It's free-flowing and hilarious, but also gets really deep and profound in parts. Just like my friendship with Khan, really. I've split this into two eps. Part two will drop on Wednesday. For now, enjoy part one. I know I certainly did. Oh, and a content warning with this one if you've got little ears around. Here's Khan. Khan Ong, welcome to the Lemonade Podcast. We are recording from your bed and it is literally the softest bed I've ever <laughs> sat on. <laughs> it's so funny that like for the first five minutes you're like, your bed is just so soft. <laughs> I don't understand how you've made I said to him, this bed is really soft. And he said, yeah, it's great, but you get a really soft back. And I feel like that's not great. <laughs> no, it's not great. Especially, so I, I had a friend over the other day and then in the morning he was just laying on the ground i was like what's what's wrong because your bed is so soft that my back hurts <laughs> yeah i really feel like it's not great but gosh this is this is literally the most comfortable i've ever been recording a podcast so thank you for having me thank you for coming i forgot to um book my own house so we've got diana filming a tv show in the front room right now so we're just kind of locked away in my room <laughs> yes Khan's housemate is Diana Chan, who was the former winner from a couple of years ago of yeah. MasterChef. So, yeah, there's always something happening in this house. There's always some kind of recording. And he calls me the, the other day and he's like, 
I forgot to book the house, so yeah, we're going to have to lock ourselves in the bedroom. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a ridiculous thing to say, but we've got like a whiteboard system where we kind of just write in when we need the house for what, um, and neither of us did it because we didn't think that during this season that we would be doing much. Yeah, well, totally. And it is Christmas week. How are you feeling? Calm. Very calm. Really? Well, I got all my Christmas... You're the only person that says that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I got all my Christmas shopping done online. So it's just all coming. And I was just like, I bought it like a week ago. So there was like 18 days for it to arrive. And I was like, yeah, I'm I'm great. Yeah, lovely. And you always cook beautiful food on Christmas Day. Like your family doesn't really celebrate it, but you would just love eating the beautiful food part of it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So um, it's actually Christmas Eve that we celebrate-ish. Um, we always have a little barbecue together and then what's, whatever's left over becomes like our Christmas lunch. Um, but it's always a barbecue to start. Oh my God, it's always epic as well. I'm always really jealous and I look at, like I always have beautiful food on Christmas Day, but then you put up your videos and I'm like, Oh. <laughs> no, it's, it's it's actually nothing ever any nothing glam. It's always mum like here's three proteins. We're putting it on, on the barbie. You make the salads. You make the sauces. You make the dips. And I'm like, okay, so what have you done? <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. And I feel like that always happens with Khan. Whenever we organise dinner parties, we're like. Okay, cool, Leah, let's all get up, let's all catch up for dinner and you'll be like, um, okay, what can I bring? We're like, can you just do the mains and the desserts and the sides? <laughs> <laughs> no, but like literally, but it's, it's fun. Like I really enjoy it. I enjoy going to like people's houses and actually cooking for them as well. Like mm. um, one of my friends was hungover on the weekend and I was like, oh, we're supposed to be having dinner. And she's like, what do you want to do? I was like, can I just cook? And she's like, yeah, come around, cook. Yeah. yeah well, yes, yeah, so you were at my house the other week and we were hungover and you just cooked like gourmet pasta for us for lunch. I'm like, this is the most fancy lunch I've ever had. No, the, she's lying. The pasta was not gourmet at all. Like I literally just found random ingredients in her <laughs> fridge. I was like, oh yeah, chili. There's no cream. So I'll just use like yogurt. And I was like, let's just make this happen. I don't understand how you did though, because it was tasted delicious and there was nothing that I would have resembled in my fridge to be able to make that pasta. So there you go. Now, Khan, with all of my interviews, I start them the same way, and that is wanting to know what childhood was like for my guests. You had a very interesting childhood. Can you take me right back? What was it like for you? Okay, so I don't remember this part, but I was born in an immigration um, camp slash refugee camp in Indonesia. I came over to Australia and I was two, so mum and dad were actually there for four years. And I think it's a little bit different to what you think of when you think refugee camps here now. Um, back then, you kind of just lived on an island. Oh. And then, like, everyone had jobs and everyone was oh. still working and, like, people were still making money. It was It's really strange. So, like, she was mum was, like, a, a seamstress there and dad chopped trees for the government for wood. So it was like they were making money and that's kind of how they could get to Australia, you pay like your processing fee of your paperwork and things like that. So you needed a couple of thousand dollars to do so. Um, so it took them a couple of years to do it because it was like each person had to pay like three or four thousand. Oh my God. And back then it was like, that's big money. Um, yeah, so I came over, mum and dad lived with an uncle and auntie for a while. They started a business when I was 12. Um, so that became like epic because it meant that we weren't spending that much time together because they were really hard workers so it was like it's open seven days a week mum still has one of them now and still open seven days a week um so they've always been really hard workers so uh, for me I spent a lot of time with them in the kitchen um at night that's Mm. kind of when mum would make dad and the family dinner yeah yeah do you so do you remember you said you were born in this camp do you have any memories of that whatsoever or was it just a little bit too young coke bottles and snakes 
What does that mean? Um, I remember loving, like, lugging around a bottle of Coke, but, like, a two-litre bottle of Coke, and I'm, like, one. <laughs> like, so I was, like, I literally was lugging around and pulling it after me. Um, and I remember s- snakes, really weirdly, I remember snakes. and um, Like I, real snakes? So we're not talking about lolly snakes? No, like real snakes. And I just, I couldn't, like, I didn't understand why. And then later on, Mum goes, oh, Dad used to, like, when he was chopping wood, he would find snakes. So at one stage, he got really okay with dealing with them so he became the island snake catcher (laughs) and so there were always snakes in the house I was like what do you mean like could I have died and she goes no no they were in like little like wooden crates and things I'm like that felt like I could still have died (laughs) (laughs) when I picture wooden crate I picture a lot of holes and gaps well that's what I mean they were like kind of baskets because they were like wooden but like woven wood I don't know like they were like rattan basically I think I know yeah kind of like a woven I kind of I know what you mean so then you came over to Australia when you were young do you remember what it was like settling into Australia or is there any vivid memories around that The, the most this is a really sad memory even though like I'm not sad about it but just the thought of it is sad is that mum used to walk me to kindergarten and primary school and then like I'm talking like cold days windy days rainy days I just remember that and I was just kind of like she's done a lot like you know what I mean like it's kind of like little things like that actually is so much love because now I'm like I'm not going out in the rain like I'm like I don't care what the occasion is I'm not going out in the rain and mum was like walking me to and from kindergarten and school in the rain I'm like yeah, so that's kind of my most vivid memory of being a child. And then, yeah, I don't really remember much until my sister was born. So um, that was when I was in, like, year five or oh. year four. You know, actually, that's a lie, year two. Mm-hmm. Year two, my sister was born, and um, we, we moved houses. The business had was in its first or second year, which is ridiculous because I'm like, why would you choose to start a business and then have a baby? <laughs> <laughs> so true. <laughs> like, it's, it's ridiculous. Like, I'm like, you're crazy. Um, but she, but Amy's great. Like, from literally from the point of her being born, we were kind of really close. Um, we actually got matching tattoos yesterday. Oh, my gosh, cute. Yeah, I did notice you went there and it's the one place no one can get into, but obviously you can. <laughs> oh, oh, I've been friends with the tattoo artist for years. Like, it's not like, it's not a MasterChef thing. It's not like, hey, I cook you, I cook you things and you give me a tattoo. It's like, I literally just text him like, hey, can you just fit me in anywhere? And he's oh like, yeah, God. yeah. It's a really nice tattoo as well. Yeah, it's cute. It's like, it's two people pinky promising. Um, but just side note on this story, one of my really close friends has the same tattoo. With oh. his best friend at the time. So Luke has this tattoo. Oh. And so I had to text him yesterday and be like, my sister really wants this tattoo. Are you okay with it? And he's like, oh, yeah, go. No, no issues. It's really sweet. I love it. Oh, very nice. Well, that was a lovely segue about your sister because you just said how close you've been since she was born. And then you said you got a tattoo yesterday. Yeah. So that's so lovely. Yeah, but I think that she's actually like really manipulative. And the reason that we got a tattoo together is because she knew that mum would kill her if she got any other tattoo. But because her first tattoo would be with me, mum would be like, yeah, that's fine. And then uh... she can slowly get more tattoos. <laughs> Eventually, next minute, her whole body is covered in tattoos. Um, how do you think those formative years and coming over to Australia and I guess watching your parents work so hard since you can remember shaped who you are today? Okay, so life when we were young was harder than I thought it was. Like thinking back now, like when you're a child and when you're a teenager, you don't really think that like life sucks. You don't know any better. You don't really know anything. Mm. You're just like, yeah, this is what normal life is. But now looking back, I'm like, there were days where we literally had like rice, um, soy sauce and 
onion omelets and onion omelets are currently like they've been my favorite thing for like years now like I just obsessed with them and I just I remember at one point we stopped eating them and I asked mum about it recently I was like how come you stopped making that dish yes because we had more money like we were able to mm. actually buy things that didn't cost us four dollars yeah like yeah, dinner was so like so so simple back then and but it's those kind of foods that I I still have a really great connection mm. with like congee yeah, literally this onion, onion. The onion omelet is literally sliced onions in a pan, caramelized. Then you crack eggs into it, and then you mix it, and then you serve it with rice. Like it's the most. Yum. It's so mm. yum, though. It's so yum. Um, yeah, and knowing that my parents worked so hard, I think that's kind of push my work ethic. Um, I work like I like. I enjoy working. I take on way too much. Um. So much so that both my business partner and my manager literally are like, you need to take a day or two off mm-hmm. to just get your brain back together because you're going psychotic, mm-hmm. um, which is fine. Um, <laughs> but I, I enjoy it. I, I really enjoy it. I feel as though when I'm not working that I'm not doing anything and then I'm not... I don't know. It's this like inner thing where I just need to achieve something. Mm. Even like, so, you know, when I'm hungover, I like to cook. Yeah, I don't understand. I'm like, let's just get Uber Eats. You're like, absolutely not. <laughs> yeah, because I think it's more that idea of being able to achieve something even when you cannot just be useful in some way yes exactly so um yeah work has always been really important to me um a lot more in the last five or six years it's become pretty much (laughs) my main thing in life Mm -hmm. yeah but I really enjoy it Mm -hmm. like I really enjoy what I do so I don't find it annoying I don't find it stressful I just love it like it like recently I've taken on a new role at my restaurant where I'm standing up the front as kind of the maitre d the person who organizes where everyone sits and things yep. like that and I didn't have to do that but okay so I'm standing there for like 19 hours no that's ridiculous it's not 19 it's like eight hours but um my feet ki- are killing me but by like by the end of it I'm like oh my god that was so good because yeah. I was able to do t- so much today mm-hmm. yeah so work has always been so important and I definitely that definitely comes from my parents what did you think there, you know, when you reflect back as well on how hard they did work, and obviously that's had such a massive impact on who you are now, but I guess their resilience as well and their tenacity and their determination to set up a better life for their family, what has that, What when you look back at that, what's that taught you about life? All that's, like, when I think of, like, how hard mum and dad pushed and fought to be in Australia to give us a better life. I'm just so thankful for it. Like, um, like, I would have known nothing different. I might not have been born, which is just another thing, just because mum and dad were not allowed to see each other. Dad was like eight years older. It was a communist country. Like, all of that stuff was just kind of like a no-no for their family. So that's why, partially why they ran. They mm. left Vietnam. Mm-hmm. They wanted to live together. They wanted a family. Um, It's kind of like... I was actually going to get another tattoo the, <laughs> yesterday <laughs> and it's it was going to be uh, what's the worst that could happen. And that kind of comes back to them. It's like no matter what I do or what situations I come up with, I don't think it's ever going to compare to what mum and dad had to deal with. Yep. So I'm like literally in any situation, what is the worst that could actually happen? Like will I die? Am I going to get severely hurt? Like what could actually happen? Yep. Like break it down to that one moment where if one thing doesn't go right for you, what is the actual worst thing that could happen at this point? Does that motto kind of carry through to everything, everything. now? Yeah. Like literally everything. Like I, I like we've been friends for a very long time and you know that like there are times when I get very like I get driven by emotion. 
But I feel as though in the last couple of years, I've gotten better at that. Mm-hmm. And I think that comes back down to that where I think, hey, in this moment, I might not be happy, but what is the worst thing that could happen at this point? Oh, is it really that bad? Mm-hmm. No. Mm-hmm. So it's just kind of like deal with it and let it go. That's amazing. That's amazing that it's kind of come from watching all what they've been through and not even watching because a lot of it you weren't there for, but knowing what they went through as well has influenced yeah. that. Definitely, 100%. Like my parents are such a vital part of my life. Like, And it's really weird that I think you would feel the same. Like as a teenager, you don't really care. Mm. And then like the mm. older you get, the more mm. that you're appreciative of your family and yep. where that, what they've done for you and where they've come from. Yeah, it's not until you're an adult and you realise that a lot of the things they are doing now, like they did, sorry, at that time of their life, you're now that age and you're like, oh, I'm like, (laughs) can't even like, I'm trying to order an Uber Uber Eats order and you were like married with two kids by this age. I I think about this all the time. Like at this, at my age, dad got on a boat and sailed for days, no idea where he was going. Oh my God. With like like 20 strangers with all of his belongings on him. Like, that is ridiculous. Like, And left his family behind, I assume? Exactly, yeah, left his family behind. Like, his boat got attacked by pirates because this is is not even a lie. I know it sounds ridiculous. (laughs) Like, I'm really sorry that this sounds so stupid. But, like, okay, so Dad's boat was attacked by pirates because pirates do this thing where they target refugee boats Mm. because all of their belongings are with them. So it, it means they'll be like, if they had any gold, it would be with them. If yeah, they had any money, so any jewellery, it's it's with them. So dad's boat was attacked by pirates. Someone got shot and he died. Like, motors broke down and, like, motors had to be changed during, like, like in the middle of the ocean. Like, crazy things like that. Wow. And I'm just like, oh, cool. What's the hardest thing I've done? I lost MasterChef twice. <laughs> <laughs> Calm down. <laughs> Real. They were big events, though. Let's not diminish that. <laughs> yeah, but it's it's not the same as like oh, changing a propeller when there's sharks around you. Like that's frightening. Literally, like- pirates ransacking the boat. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Gosh. Well, yeah. What's the worst can happen? What's yeah. the worst that could really happen? <laughs> when you um when you did settle back when you settled into Australia with your family, I know you were very young. Were there any struggles or anything that you noticed with settling in or did you kind of just take it, you know, as a young kid does and just go about life as normal? So we we lived in Springvale, which is a very Vietnamese Australian community, has a very large Vietnamese community there. So the school that I went to was very Vietnamese. Mm. Um, so I didn't really have to – I didn't feel different because everyone around me looked like me. Yeah. They were Vietnamese, yeah. they were, we were all Asian. Um, it wasn't until high school that I started to be like, oh my God, I'm like totally different. I went from Halebury, full Vietnamese community, to, so, sorry, South St. Joseph, to Halebury, which was majority Caucasian. Mm. Like majority mm. Caucasian, um, they did things that I didn't even really know about. Like I didn't really know about like football and things like that. Like yeah. I did, but it wasn't really a big part of my life. But there, it's like the sport culture was so huge at the school. And then there were, it, it, the school was amazing because it opened my eyes to like different types of art, pro- arts programs, music programs, drama programs. Um, but that's when I started to kind of feel like I was different. And obviously I was gay at the time and I didn't really <laughs> think about it back then because I'm like, oh yeah, this is normal. And then I went to like high school and I was like, oh no. People were bagging me because I'm, because I'm like, f- like feminine and like, oh. uh, but like, but it was never 
that bad. Yeah. Like, I, I, do you know what I mean? But mm-hmm. I also think that maybe that's another resilience thing where I think if you don't choose for things to be that bad, it doesn't become that bad. Mm. And I feel as though even though there was a little bit of um, joking around and bullying happening, it was kind of like if I took control of that, then, yeah. Yeah. You've become such an incredible inspiration for so many in the gay community because you embrace who you are and you, um, you know, you help people through that. I know you've received such beautiful messages from people about, um, you know, watching them, what them watching you be who you are has made them accept who they are. Um, How does that make you feel when you think back to that boy that you just said that was at school kind of being bagged a little bit for being different? Um, I'm really happy to be able to do anything that I can. I feel as though... Even though the LGBTQIA plus community has had a lot of acceptance in the last couple of years and a lot of understanding, there's still a little bit more to go. Um, and it's it's little things. It's not it's not it's it's changing the way that people interact. Um, an example is I have friends that speak to me with a different tone in their voice and speak to our straight mates. But it's not like, it's not condescending. It's not, they're they're trying to interact with me. But at the same time, I've called a few of them out on it, not everyone, because sometimes it's not that big of an issue. But sometimes I'm just like, why do you treat me different than our straight friends? But it's not, it's like, it's just like a little twang in their voice. So it's like, oh, hey, hon, kind of thing. Like, But they would never say that to any of the other yeah, boys. And yeah. I'm just kind of like, it kind of makes me feel less human. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that there's a lot to go there. And obviously anything I can do to help would be, like, incredible. That's why I'm in love with Minus 18. It's a charity that um, I support heavily. We all, all of the kind of You Are Love label clothes and apparel and all of those things, um, portions of the sales go to them because... Yep. They do amazing work. They help youth in the LGBTQI plus um, community kind of through that whole early teenage years. What was So you said that there was a little bit at school, there was a little bit of teasing or you did feel a little bit different. Mm. Did it ever get that bad or did you, you know, what What do you remember from that time? It it didn't really get bad until Halebury was never that bad. I went to Melbourne High for a year and that's kind of when it got a little bit more intense mm. um, because th- at that point it became an all an all boys school, mm. whereas Halebury was uh, parallel education. So it was male females on the playground together in classroom separate. Um, so Melbourne High, I hated. Like I, I, I hated it. I, um, which is kind of really sad because it's a really good school. Yeah. But I, I, I hated going every day. I took the train in. It took me fifty minutes every day. Out every day. I would come home upset all the time and mum was like what do we do and I was like I want to go back like I literally want to go back to Halebury mm. and at that point we were doing well but a saving of 20 grand a year mm. is epic like mm. it's huge I think yeah. a saving of 20 grand ever in your life a year yeah. is huge mm. so mum basically said to me like we would really like you to stay because we the education apparently like in the Asian community at Melbourne High is like the epitome of like the best education you could ever have. <laughs> disagree. Um, wholeheartedly disagree. Um, I think that the best education you can ever have is anywhere that you feel comfortable yeah. to learn. Um, so mum said to me, if you wanted to go back, you would need a scholarship or to make the fees cost the same. And so 
I applied for general excellence scholarship and I got 50% off. And then I took it to mum and she goes, well, there's still another 10 grand that's just sitting there. <laughs> and I was like, mm, okay. Um, so I applied for an academic scholarship and um, did the exam for it and luckily got it. And so I got to come back to Halebury and that was... I think I would be such a different person if I did not go back to Halebury. Like mm. if I if my schooling wasn't at a school that was so accepting and that was so nurturing of everything that I was, then I would have had a total different life. Mm. Um, I remember like I wanted to be a designer and when I wanted to study um, fabrics, there was no male class. So what they did was move my timetable around so that one class I could be in a female class so that I could just do the subject and I am like that is just so good like it's so progressive like it's just so progressive so when you think back to your time at Melbourne High and think back to that era in life do you does it make help you identify with people who um in the gay community who do feel isolated or alone or don't feel accepted for who they are yeah 100 percent. and I feel as though that whole isolation and being alone and not accepted actually would all like it continued to kind of be a common theme in my life all the way up until I was like 24, 25. Mm. Part of it is still there now. I think it's like you grow up, like it is so, like I hate it. Like I hate it so much when we talk about like things affecting you as a teenager and like moulding your life now. But I think it's very true. Mm. Um, Like obviously I always fought to kind of like hide the differences and there was always like self-confidence issues there even though I am a very confident Mm -hmm. person um and I think it still has bled through to now like there are times when I'm still kind of like oh my god I'm a fraud yeah 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 feeling like that imposter syndrome or or just feeling like you're not really I don't know like is it is it not really deserving of what you've got is it that feeling it's it's kind of like Feeling like, oh my God, is everything that I've done in my life a lie? And that like, it's for some, somehow I've gotten to a point where I'm very, very lucky, but was it all, like, is it all not real? And that like one day someone's going to be like, hey, you're not gay or you don't cook food or you like, it's just ridiculous. Well, we stuffed this up. Sorry, give that back. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's just like, oh no, okay, go back to being a DJ, mm. like be sad every weekend. I'm yeah. like, okay. <laughs> what do you hope people who do, who are in the LGBTQI community get out of you sharing your story? Um, I just want to be some sort of representation. Um, I feel as though when I was younger, there was really not a person of colour who was part of the community on TV Mm. or in the media. And I just feel as though, like, one person's not enough. Like, me being the token Asian gay person on TV is just not (laughs) enough. Like, I feel as though, like, there has to be more of us because, like, it doesn't make sense for the percentage to be, like, two people out of, like, hundreds of people on national TV. Like, it doesn't make sense. And I just feel as though... And, uh, like, that's still needed. And so I I really want to work towards, like, doing more in the community. I feel as though... It's all the things that I never thought I would do that is now happening. It's kind of like when I was growing up, I'm like, I'm never going to like be this voice for queer kids or queer people. Um, I never thought that I was like, someone else is going to do it. But then I'm like, no one else is doing it. Like, Mm. it's just kind of like, and I've kind of like found myself in a very fortunate situation where I do have a platform and 
like who else am I gonna have like look out for like I'm gonna look out for my community my people do you think that you never thought that you would be doing it because you didn't see it it didn't exist yeah I think so because I was always like who 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 does this mm. like who's who's the person that is actually like talking about like diversity talking about how hard it is to grow up as a queer child like I just it's you see it in te- like on like movies, mm. but you don't see it in real life. Mm. Um, yeah, so I've I found myself really fortunate that I've I'm at a place now where brands are willing to let me have that point of view and are happy to let me speak and just be myself. And mm. uh, and it's happened in even the last two years, three years, where the way that I write, the way that I interact with people, the way that everything that I do, I'm more comfortable mm. with. I'm like to a point, even though I was open and gay and out and uh, proud there was always a little bit of me that was like hey if we just do it at this a little tiny bit less gay it'll work out better for you now i'm like don't care (laughs) like i don't care i'm pretty sure that like my instagram is the most candid place (laughs) that you would like find like ever like my stories are literally about like bottoming and like having to douche and how much work it is and it's like and yet still brands are happy to work Mm. with me because I'm like Mm. it's why are we not talking about this like it's a very fundamental part of being a homosexual (laughs) like your prep So true. When there would be so many young men and female males and females who were you once upon a time, a teenagers who are feeling unsure or feeling scared or feeling like they might be not accepted or rejected. What do you hope that they, you know, they do look at your Instagram or they do look at the work you do? Do you hope that they see that there's a place for them? Um, that's definitely. I really hope that they do see that there's a place for them. I also hope that they understand that the things that make them different are literally the things that make them beautiful and special and celebrated. It took me a long time to realise that and it's such a cliche because people used to tell you that when you were younger, when when I was younger, that, like, your uniqueness is what makes you amazing. But now I totally understand it. Like, being different is the reason that you will succeed in life. Mm. And so celebrate those differences because I tried to hide them away for so long and, like, it wasn't until I celebrated them that I actually started to do better and was happier with myself. Yeah. Wow, that's so profound, isn't it? Like, when you look at it like that. I know, but it's, like, it's so annoying because I'm, like, if I said that to myself, I'd be, like, you're a dickhead. Like, you're a liar and you're a dickhead. Yeah, if you said that to 14-year-old Khan, what would he have said? No, he would have just been, like, of course you're going to say that. Like, you're on TV and, like, you're, like, out and proud. Like, I'm just, like, this guy in the corner of the room. But I'm, like, Mm. no, but, you like, the the earlier you get that into your head, the better your life will be. Like, I'm telling you that now and just listen to it. Totally. There are so many mums that listen to this podcast if their child was to come to them and tell them that they feel like they identify as lgbtqi mm-hmm. i feel like i hope i didn't leave a letter out no, there no okay so <laughs> this is the thing i i always have conversations about this with like different parts of like organizations that are in the lgbtqi a plus community <laughs> no that's fine but like people stop a t people stop a q yeah. people stop an i and i was like i just run through the whole oh, thing the whole alphabet yeah <laughs> i have seen a, ma- a lot of amazing jokes about that it's like how many more uh, 
from that community being yeah. like, how many more letters can we add to this? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, just add a plus to the end and you're covered. Yeah. You're definitely <laughs> covered. So true. Um, well, if there are, yeah, if, if someone was to come to their parents and tell them that they feel like they are identifying as gay or bisexual or any of those letters, what what advice would you have for mums listening to embrace their, their child and make sure that they know that there's, you know, it's almost... I think it's not even just about the acceptance. Like, I feel as though, like, everyone's very accepting these days, but make a conscious effort to maybe learn about whatever your child identifies as. If they're gay, maybe do some research. If they identify as being trans, do some research with them, learn with them, because they may be really scared. Mm. Um, Coming out to you as a parent would have been very, very difficult. It would would have been one of those decisions that would have taken them years to kind of get around to even being brave enough to speak about. So your reaction isn't as important. Like, it is important, but I feel as though what happens after that initial reaction is really, really important. The support that is shown not through just words, but, like, even being... Send them annoying articles. <laughs> like, send, like, so get um, pamphlets, get books that are annoying as F for the child, but at least they then know that you are willing to learn and you're willing to kind of care and support. It's not just about saying that you support. It's like, be that annoying mum mm. <laughs> or yeah. dad. Like, be, be that, interested. Be interested. Like, yeah. we just be willing to learn about it. Yeah, totally. Mm. Do you remember what it was like when you came out to your family? Um, yeah, so I came out to my sister first and she was like, Loda. <laughs> <laughs> but in her, like like straight face way where she I just think that she hates me um and then it took me about two years after to actually come out to mum and she was kind of just like it was really ridiculously funny because I thought it was going to be this massive deal and she's like oh whatever like who cares she's like anyway like if you want to be famous in Vietnam this is great because LGBTQI plus are trending in Vietnam and I was like what are you talking about mum and she's just like no it's fine do you want to go to Vietnam I was like what are you even talking about like this is the most ridiculous thing she was just kind of like how is this gonna how are are we gonna make this work for you and I was gosh that doesn't sound familiar at all (laughs) that's probably where I get it from I feel like we're joining the dots we're piecing it together now that is unusual though because I know when there's um communities of Asian descent or any kind of in Australia being gay isn't usually an accepted thing in those communities. Yeah, look, I think um, my 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 kind of experience with Vietnamese community, the Asian culture itself, has been very different to a lot of people. Mum and dad, even before he... So dad passed away when I was 16. I don't know if people know that. I'm just going to say that there. Um, I was like, I don't know where else to put that in. Let's just do that there. <laughs> just so that everyone's like, why doesn't he talk about his father? Yeah. Like... Um, yeah, so they were both really supportive of kind of all my decisions mm. in my life. Like, it, I made dumb ones where I was just like, I'm going to be a plastic surgeon. And they loved that. Loved it to pieces. Like, they're like, yep, cool. So I was like doing biology, psychology, chemistry, all of it to get myself there. Halfway through, like in year 11, I was like, no, nope, want to be a designer. <laughs> Mum was like, yeah, cool. Like, whatever. It, like, paid for me to go to classes after school. So mm-hmm. I went to um, kind of like a Melbourne School of Fashion, two days a week, three hours a day, to learn how to pattern make and 
construct garments and mm. design mm. and all mm. of that stuff. So they've always been really supportive of every step that I've ever taken. Yep. Even when I became a DJ, like who who wants their child to become a <laughs> DJ? Like it's like, all right, cool. You're going to be drunk every weekend. You're not going to know anything, and you're probably going to be really sad in thirty years. Yeah, like hooking up with lots of boys. Yeah, exactly. Like mum <laughs> would not want that. Um, like. Yeah, but mum was really happy. She was even my tattoos. It yeah. takes it takes mum a little bit of time, but she gets things mm-hmm. like, and it's things that I don't expect her to understand. Like literally, my first tattoo she hated, and then like three tattoos in, she goes, "I get what's going on." Yeah, and I was like, "What?" And yeah. she's like, "No, I get it. Like it, it looks good." And I'm like, mm-hmm. "Okay." So she's been really supportive of everything that I've ever wanted to do. So mm-hmm. it's a little bit different. And I, I'm, I'm, again, very lucky to have that. But I feel like that's also a little bit of um, conditioning mm-hmm. where I am very open with the way I speak. Mm-hmm. Um, if I have issues, I usually speak about them. Mm-hmm. Um, even about this podcast. <laughs> um, side story. So... Uh, uh, about a, I knew we'd do this. About a year ago, Elizabeth asked me to go on this podcast and I said to her, hey, babe, let's wait until after MasterChef second round because I knew that I was going on MasterChef again. Anyway, I was... She'll, she'll tell her side of the story in a sec. Um, I didn't get asked to come back on. And then on my birthday about a month ago, I was like, babe, I'm actually really offended that you haven't asked me to come back on Lemonade. And she basically said to me, what? I thought you didn't want to. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, this is what... So, this is what happened on March. So, I asked him... And I just was like, you know, when you just get a feeling you're like, oh, I don't think that person really wants to. And I was like, oh, I think because he said the master chef thing, I was like, I think he's trying to like buy time and try and like make me sure, make sure I kind of forget about it. So that was my thinking. So I was like, oh, I don't think Khan just wants to be on it. Okay, I'll just leave that. Um, yeah. And then it wasn't until a few weeks ago, a month ago, he was like, I've been so pissed at you all year because you didn't ever ask me. I'm like, I didn't think you wanted to be on. And it was just this incredible moment, I think, where you realise how easy it is to completely misconstrue someone else's intention yeah, and with your with your own story. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> That's how I'm like, it's really important to just have, conversa- like, have yes. conversations and be yeah. open. Because I do it all the time. Like, I'm the mediator in our house. Um, when mum and Amy have an argument, they both call me and I literally go put put me on that speaker or put me on three where we're doing this right now. It's like, Amy, how do you feel? And she's like, mum made me feel sad because of this reason. And then mum's like, that's not what I did. I'm like, yes, but she feels sad. So <laughs> that's how she feels. And you can't tell her that she's wrong for doing so. So can you just take this on? And then Amy's like, I'm like are you okay now? She goes, yeah. I'm like, do we have anything else to speak about? And she goes, no. And, and then like, it's like, okay, fine. done. All right, yeah. I've got to go. Well, the, but that's literally how I like to deal with situations. Mm. Like I, look, I don't, love confrontation but I don't hate it yeah like I think that like most of the time all you need to do is speak about something mm. or speak about an issue or put, bring it up anything ask for something you're probably going to get what you want mm. from it mm. it's just that people make these scenarios in their head where they're like oh my god this is going to blow up to be a thing but it never does it's always like okay this is how I feel this is how you feel we understand each other cool it's the stories we tell ourselves, the stories we tell ourselves to give ourselves meaning and purpose and narrative that are usually just so far from reality. Like, I legitimately, in my head, I'm dating four guys. (laughs) 
Like <laughs> me too. And I'm like, am I dating any of them? No. <laughs> Do they know I exist? No. no. Oh, they probably know you. Exist. Okay, one of them doesn't know I exist, but in my head, I'm dating Ricky Martin. <laughs> Oh, you guys are the cutest couple I as know. well. We had children together. Oh, they're the cutest kids. <laughs> he sings, I cook. <laughs> oh, oh, it's just a perfect, perfect relationship. I'm so happy for you both. <laughs> I don't know where to go from that question, by the way. I've got all these scripted questions in front of me. I reckon I've asked like two of them. Oh, yeah, because I guess I ramble. I'm a rambler. I'm really sorry. No, it works so, it flows so much better like this. I love it. I'm just like, now I don't know where to go to all from you being married with kids with Ricky Martin to. Um, did you experience racism when you were in Australia? <laughs> like, I'm like, I don't know how to segue to this. So um, we can definitely do the racism question. Racism always came in the form of like, lol, you're eating fried rice. Oh, <laughs> like, and now everyone's like, hey, can't can I come to your restaurant and have some of your fried rice? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But like, I think when you're growing up, I um in high school, I used to be so. So like self um, conscious about the food that mum would give us yep. um, as children. I'm like, can I just have a Vegemite sandwich? And yep. mum's like, no, here's some fried rice with uh, I don't know lemongrass chicken. And I'm like, <laughs> yum <Yeah>. now. <laughs> but like at the time, I'm like, oh my god, this stinks. <laughs> like everyone's gonna be like, this is gross. <sighs> and like, and I used to get bagged for it. Like I used to. There's one. It's really weird why when one thing affects you and stays in your mind. There was a girl in year seven that basically said to someone and I was there, oh, I know Khan, he's the one that always eats spring rolls. And I'm like, uh-huh. uh And like, it's that one thing that has been ingrained in my brain and she wouldn't have even meant anything by it. And maybe she did say you eat spring rolls <laughs> exactly, once. Exactly. But that I was... just sounds so racist. Um, wait, segue from spring roll. Do you remember at seven? What? No, maybe you weren't there. But there was one night at seven when someone called me a spring roll and I launched at them. I think I do remember that. <laughs> yeah, no, like, I think I feel like it was there. Someone you like called me a spring roll mm. as a way of bagging me. Yeah, they were being rude. They were I don't be- remember who it was or anything. Yeah, it was at the door. He couldn't get in, and I was inside, and I was DJing. So I walked in, and then he he said something blah 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 spring roll, and I turned around, and was like, "What did you call me?" And he goes, yeah. blah, "Blah blah blah," and so I launched at him, and then I remember this cute like holding on to me and being like. Please go upstairs. <laughs> you, your set's starting in five minutes. Please go. My set's not for two hours. Let me punch this guy. <laughs> <laughs> but, they, but, you know, we are laughing and making joke of it, but there, that's that was it's, recently. It's, it's, yeah, yeah, and it's racism still. Yes. It's like, it, it's a, it was probably, what, an, uh, by recent we mean like 10 years ago, but it was still in the 21st century. Yes, like, totally. It's not like it was, yeah, exactly in the 1950s. Yeah. <laughs> not that you were alive then. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Old. Well, you know, I feel like you'd never age, so... <laughs> That's because I keep changing my age. I'm 25 again. Oh, me too. I'm 25 as well. Um, well, that, And that is an interesting discussion to have, I think, because the discussion right now is so prevalent of, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement and we wanting to amplify the voices of people of colour. And you mentioned that before as well. Why is it so important for, to see people from all different backgrounds on our television screens and doing all kinds of different jobs as well because there needs to be representation for the younger generation coming up like australia is supposed to be very multicultural which means the people living here are of all different races all different cultures that needs to be reflected on our screens Mm. that 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 representation is really important it shouldn't be five percent it should be exactly how big the percentage is 
in the real life Australia. There was, oh gosh, I wish I did my research. There were stats that came out very recently. It was something like less than 5% of people on TV. Which is like absolutely ridiculous. Mm. Like I'm like, there's definitely more than 5% of Asian people (laughs) in Australia. Like Mm. I'm like... I probably know five percent of Asian people in Australia. Like, anyway, there was a really prof- there was a really profound moment in MasterChef, and I feel like I'm jumping from many different topics. So I hope you're all keeping up. But in MasterChef this year, when um, it was uh, yeah, every single one of the finalists, or everyone's single one of you in a competition, yeah, were Asian. Challenge. Yes, yeah. every one of us in the immunity challenge were Asian. Um, we've ha- MasterChef has been a program that has always had representation. Mm. They, we are not a category to yeah. them. We are not a token that they need to kind yeah. of. Then it's not a space that they just need to fill. Air, food has always been the forefront of MasterChef, um, and I genuinely believe that. Um, they care about how you cook. They don't care about who you are. They don't care about your skin color. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm really, really proud to be coming off a show that is all about mm. diversity. Mm. Yeah, it's it's food. It's about food. And that's what I love about it. Like, it's just like if I cooked a crap dish, I get eliminated. Yeah. It happens. But it's also, I think, a big part of it is that all different backgrounds come with different stories and different cuisines and different ways of cooking. Exactly. Like alienating one area of the community is just alienating our exposure to potentially yeah. beautiful food. Yeah, 100%. Like I'm – like. This makes no sense as well. I'm obsessed with Greek food, mm. like obsessed mm. with the way that, like, because it's so, the cooking style is just so minimal and it's mm. the complete opposite to what I know from Southeast Asian cuisine where we have like 35 ingredients that go into a paste. Um, yes. It was like ridiculous. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm working on spices um, paste right now and I'm like, oh yeah, so this green curry paste has like literally 22 ingredients in yeah, it. Like, wow. wow. Mm. But it's like, it's all herbs and it's all things that have balance. And like, you can probably achieve a green curry using like seven things, but it's that balance of like the other spices and the other herbs that kind of make it special. Yeah. Um, But like without MasterChef, I wouldn't have probably learned about how to cook um, Greek food or Middle Eastern food. Like it's, we all learn off it. And I learn off the contestants, but I also learn off the show. Mm. Like I'll see Mm. things and I'll be like, what is that dish? Mm. Like. Mm. I didn't even know biryani was a thing until like five years ago. Oh my gosh, I love biryani. It's so Yum. good. Yum. <laughs> okay, <laughs> sorry guys. <laughs> we both just kind of stopped and just like stared into the distance as well. Like I've never done a, I've never done a podcast like this where I literally just stopped when we spoke about a food and just like stared off in the distance thinking about it. Okay. <laughs> I love that this episode is a Christmas week episode. This is just the perfect timing. Like I just feel so good already. I feel like this is the perfect one for it. Now I'm going to leave part one of my conversation with Khan there, but Never fear, you won't have to wait long. Part two will drop on Wednesday and trust me, it is well worth the wait. If you'd like to follow Khan and see what he's up to, I've put the links in the show notes. As always, you can follow me at Elizabeth O'Neill. If you're loving Lemonade, I say it every week, but I'd be so appreciative if you could hit subscribe, hit five stars, leave a positive review and even share this chat or any chat that you enjoyed on your social media and tag me. It really helps get the podcast out there and perhaps will mean some other people who really need this kind of content will find Lemonade. Part two of my chat with Khan will drop on Wednesday. Chat to you then. Bye.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.